Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Endo from Students Rising Above, and this is How I Made My Path. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying the voices of diverse working professionals. Every episode, you'll hear exclusive conversations that bridge experiences between students and professionals, offer new insights on career paths, and uncover ways of unlocking your full potential. These professionals made their own paths. You can too. Take it from them. For this episode of How I Made My Path, we're joined by SRA alumni, Haley Rosano. Haley is on the Operations Strategy Early Career TA team at Viacom CBS. In her role, she co-manages all talent operations and program planning for incoming interns, entry-level staff, and rotational MBA students. In her journey, she has reached a level of expertise in career and professional development for early careers and detailed analysis on how we source, attract, and retain top talent, creating leaders in the media and entertainment industry. By engaging with local educational organizations and partnering with many colleges and universities, her team is able to serve a vast community of early career talent with tools and resources to ensure success. In this episode, we discuss her career path and her current role, She also shares a lot of great advice about networking, navigating imposter syndrome, and more. I'm excited for you all to hear what she has to share. This is how Haley made her path. like to welcome Haley. Thank you so much, Haley, for joining us. So I just wanted to provide some space for you to tell us a little bit about you. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm currently on the strategy operations team for our campus to career team within talent acquisition. I'm at Viacom CBS. So I know that sounds really confusing. Um, We are nearing the end of a merger um, between Viacom Corporation and CBS Corporation. With that, everything else had to merge as well, including our talent acquisition team. So we're currently going through a process of deciphering what everybody's new roles look like, but I have shifted from being a recruiter to now being on the operations team. Great. Thanks. That's exciting stuff. I know it's a lot, but I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how would you describe your career path up until this point? Um, Honestly, I am going to have to say it's kind of like a river. When I was in college, kind of took all the opportunities that were available to me. And those then kind of trickled down into where I'm at right now. Um, So for some additional context, I went into school with one major and came out the same major. 
and that was collaborative health and human services with an emphasis in nonprofit management and public administration. Go ahead and try and say that five times fast. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I had initially entered this path, you can say, um, looking to go into the criminal justice field. And again, this is back when we, Haley, was 18 years old and really excited (laughs) about going to college and doing new and cool things. And then I quickly learned that my major had three different tracks that I could take. And then I really liked the nonprofit side the most. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of that had to do with being a part of Students Rising Above. So shout out SRA. And from there, you know, as I started doing my coursework and gaining internships in that space, I started to find that not only did I like nonprofit work, but I liked working with kids. So I just kind of continued to explore that in my classes and in the jobs, odd jobs here and there that I had been working. And I had finally kind of gotten to this, like, I guess you could say, just done point with my dead end job at Chipotle. Mm -hmm. And um, my lovely advisor had at the same time sent me this opportunity to work at this company called CBS Interactive, which was on the university relations team at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, sure, I like working with kids. I'm working in nonprofits. You get to kind of explore different career paths for people. I think this would be really cool. And say la vie from there. (laughs) I've been with the CBS Corporation (laughs) since then, um, and now I've been fortunate enough to just continue my career path with Viacom CBS, starting as an intern and now um, moving up in my career path. Yeah, that's really awesome. It seems like your major may not have completely connected um, between what you do now and, and the classes that you're taking. But if you were to think back, was there like a specific class that you found most valuable kind of in preparing you for where you are now? The two biggest classes I think that really reflect into what I do now, uh, first one being my ethics course. <laughs> You don't think that that's going to be something that you're really tuned into. But when I tell you, I recall back on those notes almost monthly, especially being in the human resources space, that was really helpful. And then the runner up was probably my least favorite class I had, but it was (laughs) statistics and research methods. Mm -hmm. And um, that just became really important when talking about not only the different demographics of students that we have and how we are able to reach different communities, but when it comes to looking at our return on investment with either partnerships or things that we're doing within the organization, having those, I guess you could say, technical skills in statistics really did help elevate me a little bit once it came time to reporting and learning the analytics side of HR, which I honestly didn't even know existed. I took stats in college as well and haven't quite used it (laughs) as much as it seems like you are. So that's great that you're able to apply some of the things that you uh, learned in college into your career, even if like it's not a clear connection between the two. Definitely. I'm kind of curious to learn more about your education experience, um, like where you went to school and kind of how that experience maybe either helped or deterred you from how you transitioned from college to career. Great question. I went to California State University, Monterey Bay. So I feel like I kind of did what I needed to get done. 
in order to get a job. And that doesn't sound like the college experience I think a lot of people are interested in. But I mean, just in context of this podcast and our organization, I think it really goes back to your upbringing and kind of where you're at before you even get to college. Me entering college was about getting a job and creating a stable life for myself. So I did have a lot of fun and I thoroughly enjoyed meeting new people and taking fun classes. But at the same time, I really hustled my butt off while I was in college. And I think that that's something that a lot of people overlook. By the time I was 23, you know, I had my full-time job and I could, I could take a breath. Like after I graduated college, I knew I had an offer. And that was because I put in all of this hard work the past two and a half to three years. And I think that that's also really what molded my current work ethic. You know, I, again, worked so hard to do really well in my classes, but also make sure that I was building a professional network. And that was difficult to balance. but it does pay off. And I think that when, you know, people talk about trying to balance school and social and a job and all these other things, you can't juggle it all. Sometimes you do have to pick and choose what your priorities are at that time. And I have found that prioritizing my education and prioritizing what I wanted my life to look like outside of college really helped me get to a comfortable place now that I am outside of college. You mentioned a buzzword um, that we on the career development team really love. It's just networking. I mean, it's still uncomfortable for me to go into networking situations. Um, What's your advice for networking while you're in college and maybe like events that you attended or things that you would tell yourself to step out of your comfort zone, maybe um, to get over that initial feeling of nervousness when you're networking with professionals? Definitely. So I am an extroverted introvert in all senses of the definition. I love events, love parties, love meeting new people. But when it comes to it relating to my development is where I really struggle. So the biggest thing for me when I'm going to choose to network with people is thinking, what benefit is this interaction not only going to have for me, but the person on the receiving end? I will say I'm not the best person at being like selfish when it comes to my own growth and development, but I want relationships to be fruitful and I don't think that they should be one-sided even in a professional setting. So for me, there has to be a thought process of, is this going to be mutually beneficial? From there, it's, is this something that I'm really passionate about? Like, am I just reaching out to this person to get to a next step? Or am I reaching out to this person because I'm genuinely inquisitive as to what they do and what impact they're trying to make? And that answer is going to be different for everybody. I think it's important to lay out those steps for yourself ahead of time so that when you do walk up to these people and you're saying, hi, it's so nice to meet you. My name is X, Y, and Z. You're going in with a purpose and you know you're not going to have a small talk dead end conversation. And it's not going to be well, I'm looking for this opportunity. Is there any way that you can help me? (laughs) Because I can't tell you the amount of times that I've run into that, even with folks trying to network with me on the other end of things. And I just think of it in that lens that it's just kind of uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I don't think people want to be used for the sole fact of somebody else getting to a new step in their life. It's totally to your discretion. You do what you got to do. And some people are totally okay with that. 
but that's just not my cup of tea. And I found that it is much more fruitful for me professionally to make sure that I have a plan when I'm going into these events as to what I'm trying to get out of it and what benefit I'm going to bring to somebody else's table. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would imagine since you're HR, you do get a chance to talk to a lot of people. So being on the receiving end of that, are there things that you look for when someone like approaches you to network? Let's say like a student approaches you to network. Are there things that stand out for you? The first thing that will deter me, because I think this is important to lead with Mm -hmm. is, and it's important to also note that I've been in recruitment for the past three years. So the first thing that is frustrating is when candidates try to network by asking me to shop for them. And what I mean by that is reaching out, usually cold reaching out to a recruiter and saying, hey, really interested in working in X, Y, and Z. You have anything available? And I think that it is awesome that you are taking the initiative to reach out in the first place. And it takes a lot of gusto to do that. It's frustrating on our end because we want you to have to like us enough to have done the work beforehand, Mm -hmm. to have invested in yourself enough to know what it is that you want and be going for it. So that is something that I 10 out of 10 do not recommend. Um, But (laughs) when it comes to (laughs) positive interactions, I think it's fabulous when candidates will, and I'm going to speak more so to a virtual setting here, when candidates will lay out their um, elevator pitch for me in their email. So it's not just, hi, nice to meet you. I want to apply for XYZ role. Here's my resume. It's I've done X, Y, and Z, and this is why X, Y, and Z applies to what you are hiring for. Do you have a moment so that we can hop on a call and discuss further? Those put together emails and just like you taking the initiative to um, even want to explore what this entails further speaks volumes to me. So I always appreciate that. And I also appreciate when folks have taken the time to get to know me a little bit beforehand. It always is heartwarming (laughs) to know that somebody's (laughs) looked at my LinkedIn before reaching out to me or before Mm -hmm. coming up to me at an event. Because I know, again, that like, I'm somebody you really want to be engaging with. I'm not Mm -hmm. just a stepping stone. And I do recognize that that is going to be the case for some people, as I said before. It's just a personal preference to me. I like when people have a human element to their networking versus just trying to get somewhere else. Right. It's a little bit more about quality versus quantity. And again, kind of going back to like purpose, like you want to reach out with a purpose, but if it's just to get a list of open positions at your company, I mean, you could copy and paste that if you wanted to, but that's obviously not exactly what they're looking for. Exactly. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I have had recruiters send me or forward me an email from a candidate and they had reached out to me as well, but it was just a copy and pasted message. Sometimes it'll work, but that can deter a lot of people because there's no personal touch to it. Right, right. That totally makes sense. I mean, obviously, you're very knowledgeable in the space that you're in. And I would imagine you have done your own research and have learned kind of on your own through the different positions that you've been in. But I'm also kind of curious if you had anyone that's been really influential to you or like a mentor in this space throughout your career path or specifically at your current job. I love this question because it's (laughs) like to give shout outs to all of the fabulous women in my life. 
in college. The last internship that I had before graduating, I had a mentor at that internship. She was kind of like my site supervisor. This woman was just phenomenal. Like not only did she encourage me to put my feelers out there and really explore what I like and what I don't like about workforces that she taught me that things aren't a one size fits all. Like that was the first time I had ever had somebody come to me and be like, what is it that you want to do? Like, what are you interested in so that I can support you in that? And that was just renowned to me. Again, that was the first time I had had that happen. So to have her invest in me like that and not only prepare me for interviews outside of the organization, prepare me for interviews within that organization. And then the woman went as far as showing up to my capstone. Okay. That's great. It was just so heartwarming. And at the end of the day, she just kickstarted that confidence that Mm -hmm. I needed. The best advice I think I have gotten from her was one of the last conversations we had before I graduated. And we're sitting there and I was telling her about this role that I wanted to apply to, but it was definitely not an entry level position, but I was just so gung ho about it. And I knew that it was something that I could do. And she was the first person in a job setting to say, well, what's the worst they're going to say? No. Right. And I had heard this a million and one times in my life growing up, but never had I heard that being applied to your jobs or your job search. Mm -hmm. So to have somebody tell me that like the sky's the limit, like apply to whatever you want to apply for the worst they're going to tell you is no. Then I just think of that exact moment sitting there with her having this conversation when I need that boost of confidence to get something done at work or to have a difficult conversation. Outside of that, you know, in my, now in my everyday job, I do have two women that have just been absolutely phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a former director that was with us and she also just gave me confidence in the work I was doing as a full-time employee. And Mm -hmm. I speak to that in terms of imposter syndrome. While I talk about that kickstarting of confidence in my internship, becoming a full-time employee is just vastly different and kind of having a similar role from internship to staff made it a little hard to give myself that additional boost I may have needed to either raise my voice, raise my hand, or say something that I think needed to be changed. So I would go to her constantly on just like, I just can't get myself to do X. I don't know how to get myself here. And she would just look at me with this look on her face of like, I don't, (laughs) I'm just confused as to why you think you can't do these things because you have all of the ability. You Mm -hmm. just don't believe in yourself. Like you have to believe in yourself to get these things done and to take the space that you need to. And since then, I've worked on numerous stretch projects, and I've shifted from recruitment to operation strategy and have tried all of these other different things that I wouldn't have expected to. And it was all because I put this belief in myself and hold that sentiment to what I do now of you just have to believe in yourself for that one moment to get yourself to this next place of not only accomplishment, but knowing that you can do these things. That's really great. You mentioned imposter syndrome. And that's something that comes up a lot. I feel like with young students and young professionals and people throughout life, 
other than having kind of someone to tell you, you know, you can do this. Are there any other like strategies that you have for combating imposter syndrome or at least addressing it with yourself so you can take those steps forward that you mentioned? Yeah, I think, I guess it does play into confidence, but I tell myself that I'm here for a reason and I was hired for a reason And I was hired because this team has confidence in my abilities and my skill sets and what it is that I am trying to get done. Unfortunately, that's not always enough. It sometimes does take me either like when I'm in a meeting, maybe shutting off my camera and taking a deep breath because imposter syndrome still happens to me today. I had it earlier today when I was doing a training, (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes it does just take a minute to step back and say like, why is it that I want to be here? Mm -hmm. Why is it that I want to contribute to what they're doing right now? And kind of taking the other people out of the equation is what helps me a lot of times remembering that this isn't about everybody else. This is about me. This is about me doing what I need to do for myself. And once I realized that like, I really am doing this job because I enjoy it. I'm doing this job because I picked it and I'm here. That just gave me a hyper focus. Like this isn't about anybody else. I don't need to be concerned about what these other people are thinking about me, about my work ethic. If my manager is totally fine with how I'm doing things and the way that I'm going, I need to be, I need to have that same confidence in myself. And I can't let these outside opinions get into my head because at the end of the day, unless it's affecting the work that's being done, the blinders need to be on. And that's what's helped me kind of get through those really tough moments. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, at the end of the day, I feel like imposter syndrome really is rooted in like what you think other people will think of you versus what you're actually capable of and like what you know you're capable of. So kind of detaching from other people's opinions or potential opinions that may or may not exist, I feel like is really important. You mentioned these really amazing mentors and obviously like mentorship is so important, but I'm also kind of curious, like what you think contributed to your career success so far, other than like you mentioned your work ethic, of course, but is there anything else that you want to mention? Yeah. Something that I had a revelation on (laughs) a few, I guess, weeks ago. And I think this does tie back to upbringing and everything like pre-college, a lot of the motivation that got me to where I was, was survival. Mm -hmm. I need to complete X, Y, and Z so I can get to this place of contentment. Mm -hmm. I need to do X, Y, and Z so I can have this security. And large part of what drove me to go as hard as I did, because I wanted to be comfortable in my lifestyle and the things that I was able to provide myself. I also had really freaking encouraging parents while they did have their shortcomings as all parents do. The one thing that they did embed in my brain was that education was indeed my way out. Education was how I was going to get the things that I wanted in my life and was going to elevate me from where we were at that time. So having that hyper focus gave me something to focus on and gave me an opportunity to kind of escape And that escape led me to some form of success, I guess one would call it. But that was a hard pill to swallow when I realized that because I realized that while yes, I've always been living for myself and the things that I want to do, it was always 
to get somewhere else. It was always to not stop and look at my accomplishments, but to make sure that there was another accomplishment coming after that. And I have started to stop doing that, which I'm proud of myself for. Yeah, that's hard. It's so hard. And there is no reason to, I won't say that there's no reason to live your life in the future, but there isn't. That's a root for a lot of anxieties and a lot of anxieties I know that I have. It's the projection in the future. And something really beneficial that my grandma always told me was that you have to live in right now. You have to live in this moment because A, you're never going to get this moment back again. And B, the decisions and ideas that you have in this moment are what's going to shape later on. So you technically don't need, those aren't things that you need to be focused on at this moment. And I think just a culmination of all of that, while it did provide its ups and downs, gave me a solid foundation of how I needed to respect myself in not only my college career, knowing when to stop in terms of like burnout, but now that I'm an adult, you know, knowing where I need to draw the line and knowing when I need to stop my whatever I'm doing for a second and just think like, how are these thoughts even serving me? So those are kind of the things, I guess, that have helped in my success. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there is there's a list more, but those are kind of the most influential things that I would share. Yeah, I resonate with that so deeply. Um, a lot of my own anxiety definitely rests with worrying about things that may or may not happen in the future. It's so hard to like interrupt the pattern of that thinking, especially when you're like in it and stressed and disrupting that is so hard, but it's great that you're working on it. And I'm working on it too. It's like, I feel like it's going to be a lifelong thing, but we'll get there eventually. (laughs) Oh yeah. We'll be working on it forever. (laughs) Right. Right. Just to back up a little bit, could you share more about kind of what your typical day looks like in your current position um, and what your role really entails? Definitely. So as I had mentioned in the beginning, you know, we are going through this new realignment for our Mm -hmm. team. I am on the campus to career team, which strictly handles internships and early career opportunities. I'm currently um, transitioning into operations strategy, which has to do with, you know, the basic talent operations, onboarding, offboarding processes. Mm -hmm. But I also do program planning for our internship programs. I work hand in hand with our MBA rotational program. And I think there are many more things to come. But as I said, that is ever changing right now. I have a very cyclical job. So that's something Mm -hmm. to note as well, because interns come and go all the time. A lot of my day is around processing transactions for our um, managers or our interns, things that need to get done. The fun stuff doesn't really come into the summer, but that's always what I hold out for because I'm the one in charge of planning it. As far as like internships go, you participated in internships throughout college and now you run basically a program an internship program so what are some things that you look for in interns either that you know you've kind of learned yourself in your own experience or from working with interns at your current current job it's a great question and I also think that it is subjective Mm -hmm. and I say that because I work specifically in media and entertainment so What I find in a great candidate may be completely different for somebody that is somewhere else, Mm -hmm. Um, just to preface with that. But at the end of the day, we're looking for folks that want to learn. Where we are at in tech and media is 
on a forward trajectory. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I find myself wrestling with the fact that the curriculum isn't catching up to where technology is right now. Mm. Um, And I think of that specifically in the streaming space. Um, We do have our shameless promo um, Paramount (laughs) Plus just launched last month. And that is something that we were actively recruiting for for a while. And some of the things that we were looking for were just really hard to find in interns. It felt like we were looking for a unicorn. But every so often there would be these candidates that are just so passionate about the space. They're doing projects on their own time, either outside of their coursework or their major, and just either trying to develop something that is going to impact their surrounding communities or something that is going to assist their student population. And whenever I see those types of things, I'm just blown away. It's the fact that you have that much passion and care that much about your community and what you're doing to wanting to bring that into your workspace. That's always something that I'm really stoked about when I see it on a resume. I guess other things that we're looking for or that I'm looking for, I don't, I don't want to say like transparency, but like being, not lying on your resume. (laughs) That sounds so basic, Um, Mm -hmm. but you would really be surprised at how many people fudge their resumes or exaggerate on Mm -hmm. them. And to an extent, that's fine. But when the work that you are putting on your resume directly applies to what the job is going to be, of course, we can always teach, but there's a difference between being green in something and having not a single drop of knowledge. So don't lie on your resume, kids. That's definitely good advice. So passion and don't lie on your resume. (laughs) Two main takeaways. Two main takeaways. What do you think employers in your industry kind of in general can do to support first-gen low-income students to ensure their success? Or if your company is already doing something, what, um, what is that? To talk to the second point, we do partner with Students Rising Above, which mm-hmm. I am so over the moon about and me too (laughs) right that's how I'm here talking to you today about what Mm -hmm. I do at the time CBS Interactive saw me as a students rising above student saw the work that I was putting in and they were I won't say gracious because again I put in the work but they um, saw my potential and they wanted to give me an opportunity and I delivered on that And I'm fortunate enough to say that that's happened to a lot of people in my organization. We have quite a few Students Rising Above alumni at Viacom CBS. Outside of that, I think things that employers can take note of, you know, is that everybody is different. Everybody has different comfort levels with things that may seem normal to managers and that the experiences that first-gen students and low-income and or low-income students have can be vastly different from your typical student. And I found myself trying to fit into that model of the typical student. And that was not beneficial for me whatsoever. And it wasn't until I opened up to my manager at the time, and I by no means think that everybody should have to do this. You should definitely do what you're comfortable with. But for me, it made it a better workspace to just be upfront with not only the things that I was going through at that time, but the support that I needed. Mm-hmm. And my manager just being open to having that conversation with me 
was renowned. And I think that's the main takeaway for managers or employers that are looking to hire people from um, these groups or that do hire from these groups is that there has to be an element of human. There has to be that understanding that not everybody comes from the same background, you know? Mm -hmm. The last thing that I really want to hone in on is equity versus equality. I think that's something that a lot of companies or employers miss is that they want everybody to have equal opportunity, equal access. Well, unfortunately, some folks don't have that same starting field, that same playing field as other people do to even get to the groundwork of equality. And that's where there has to be somewhat of an individualistic approach to what equity looks like in a company to make sure that everybody feels supported and that everybody has what they need. And I think that's something that almost all employers could do some additional work on is focusing on equity over equality. But I, I hope one day we will get there. Yeah, yeah, I'm hopeful too. And it's just like the reevaluating of what normal is, right? Yeah. And and kind of taking a step back and assessing assessing your own kind of biases, whether it's like as a manager or as a company as a whole. So thanks for sharing that. I want to ask my closing questions and you actually kind of touched on this already when you're speaking about um your mentors, but what's the best advice you've received? The best advice I've received is you are in charge of your own happiness. I love that. And in order to be happy, I have to make the decisions that will get me there. While mm-hmm. some may be uncomfortable, some may really suck. At the end of the day, I have to do what's best for me because everybody else is going to do what's best for them. That's a really great point. So as far as the best advice you would give your younger self, would it reflect what you just shared? Oh God, I would tell my younger self, just hold on sister. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I would, for my younger self, I would really hone into the element of confidence because Mm -hmm. I had no confidence growing up in whether, and that was almost in all aspects. I think other than academics, I did know that I had, a, I won't say abilities, but I, I knew I was smart. I knew I could do it. Um, it was just having confidence in myself and really exploring that. And I didn't have that outside of just my schoolwork. I didn't have confidence in futile, but like my appearance or my abilities in sports or my ability to hold relationships, whether that's platonic or romantic. And that just hindered me until the day I said like, screw this. I need to be confident. I have to work (laughs) on this. And that doesn't happen overnight. So don't think that it does. Uh, There's a lot of work that goes into it. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like it's working though, whatever you're doing. (laughs) A lot of self-care people, a lot of self-care. Well, thank you so much for your time and the amazing advice that you shared throughout. Yeah. I'm over the moon that you're, you're doing this with me. So thank you so much for, for everything. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
For our next episode, we're joined by SRA alumni, Lejean Butcher. Lejean is a talent scout at Autodesk and an R&B and hip hop artist. So catch our next episode to learn how Lejean made his path. The How I Made My Path podcast is a program of Students Rising Above, a nonprofit organization working at the intersections of racial equity, education, and workforce development to create transformative change for low-income first-generation students. This podcast and all the services provided by SRA would not be possible without the generous support of our donors. Please consider making a donation to support our work by visiting studentsrisingabove.org, where you can also learn more about SRA. For more information on our podcast, check out at mypathpodcast on Instagram. Music created by SRA alum Alex Arango. And that's it for today. I'm Caitlin Endo. See you next time.